0: Studio Tortue presents the Deep Folk Companion, an ongoing discussion of artificial intelligence and its role in the creative process. Oh great, we got that on recording. What? It's recording, you sipping your bloody tea. I got a frog in my throat. Hold on.
1: Okay, the frog left. How very Halloween-y. <laughs>
0: Hello and welcome to the Deep Folk Companion episode two. Um, I'm Simon Cotty. I'm joined here with my my little friend Malcolm Sutherland. Hello. <laughs> uh, so far, uh, Deep Folk's been going good. We've released one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight episodes. The date of this recording is the twenty sixth of October, twenty twenty. So it's a very spooky time of year, which is why we're talking to you now because. We're going to talk about scary
1: things. (laughs) So theoretically, by the time you're listening to this, you will have the chance to listen to our Halloween, our first Halloween episode, the one um, written by Simon Cotty called. What's it called, Malcolm? (laughs) um, Albert Spizzlebink and his bird catching pumpkin fest. That's pretty
0: close. It's called Alan Rorty's Burden. Yes. B-I-R-D-I-N apostrophe. Is that an apostrophe?
1: Right. Yeah. So maybe a bit like this episode will definitely contain spoilers. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, you should go listen to that and then come back and listen to this.
0: Yeah. It's recommended you listen to every single episode of Deep Folk as well, because we desperately need the the listen count to go up. Okay. I'm going to slurp. Okay, I'm going to slap too, Helen. Okay, is that the intro? I don't know. Yeah, what are you slapping? I'm slapping a chamomile with lemon and
1: honey to get my voice soft and smooth. I got some decaffeinated green tea. Disgusting. Yeah. Okay. Now that you've gone off and listened to this episode, um, I'll just do a little quick intro um, to that episode. So, obviously... We had the idea that, you know, as the series progresses, we're going to be doing holiday episodes, like thematic one-off episodes during various festive seasons. If on a whim, if we feel like it, that's what we're going to do.
0: If we're feeling exceptionally festive.
1: Yeah. So how to intro this episode?
0: Well, I guess the first thing I would say in, because, because Malcolm and myself both made a Halloween episode each, right? Like we find thematic uh, episodes for like, you know, a Halloween special, a Christmas special, that's inherently kind of a funny idea. And so with this one, it was obviously about approaching it with genre cliches. And AI Dungeon's quite good at operating with cliches of genre. So I had the pleasure of listening to Malcolm's episodes, which which is called uh, the, the, (laughs) the, The Two Kids in the Hole. What's it called? <laughs> Evil spirits. Evil spirits. Uh, and so I got to listen to a rough cut of Malcolm's episode first, which was really cool because then it, I let me know the direction to take my kind of theme uh, of my spooky Halloween episode. There's only so many kind of horror themes, I guess. So I was going for more of the, the twin Peaksy, midsummer Wicker man kind of style.
1: Yeah. So as an audience person having first contact with Simon's episode, like for me, it was amazing. I think it's one of like the best episodes we've made, and it's probably all downhill from here <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm really interested to talk to you about you know how you got there, like you know, we talked a little bit and It sounded like you had the point of view that it was a perfect storm. And I think in the short time we've been using AI Dungeon, we've actually come a really long way in sort of finding our voice and our working method with AI Dungeon. I'd love to hear you talk about that evolution from like the first episodes to something like this, which to me does not at all feel like a random computer generated thing. There's so much craft in this and it was such a yeah, just like a well crafted listening experience. To me it's a real standout in this the catalogue of episodes that we have so far. So to start that, um I don't know. Do you have anything do you want to <laughs> how to launch that conversation.
0: Well, I I understand there was some kind of a question there, but I think I understand what you you
1: were getting at. Well, we can cut all that out and I can just like, (laughs) no, I think that's good.
0: (laughs) Well, I think what you're, you're saying is like the, the creative process of the perfect storm to get to that point with this. And also how this, you didn't see the AI as heavily. That's what you were suggesting, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, like, It's just such an interesting thing because I feel like being familiar with like what we go through in the, in the creative process and, you know, generating the text and editing it and bringing it to full fruition. Like I get a bit of insight into it so I can kind of, you know, feel where the AI is stepping in and where you're leaning on it and then, you know, starting to write bits. But with this episode, it felt like a bit of a breakthrough because it was there was an amazing synergy and on so many levels with this you know like i felt like there was a, a really interesting balance between sort of like the form and the content too you know that maybe was part happy accident and part not like the fact that it's a first person adventure and the content of your story is just totally heightened by the fact that it's first person you know because it's about like this guy's anxiety and his projections. And as you're listening to the episode, you are in exactly that position because you're trying to piece together where the danger is coming from, you know, the source of his anxiety, like where, where, where's the evil. And like, that's exactly what the character is trying to do.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll take it back just like, cause you, you said that there seems to be a really good synergy with the AI. And I think that's really funny that it might appear that way because this was made me so angry at the AI, this whole process. So to give some context, like for my other show, uh, Hot Dog Crime Squad, that one's just a joyous romp with the AI. It's just being like as dumb as possible. It's taking the stupidest suggestions the AI throws out and then like giving that, like working with that, reworking it through. And then I don't even really edit it. Like I don't take it out and do any written edit. I pretty much read the script and do on the fly editing as I read, right? Improvisation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Whereas, whereas this one, like going into it, uh, the thing about a Halloween in a spooky genre setting is you have to slowly try and build tension. That's like this structure, right? And the AI is not very good at understanding long form pacing to build tension to something. And I had a very particular, like I, I went into it with too much of an idea in mind of what I wanted. And it meant I was fighting the AI the whole time. I, I did the first whole, like, quarter of the episode. I wrote it with the AI, and then I was like, this is shit. It's going nowhere, and, like, I had to redo the whole thing. Mm-hmm. The difference is, is is, there's always a good idea in there. Like, in that first shitty run, there were still some beautiful, interesting moments. Like, an example is that the, he checks into the hotel in a book that the hotel staff is writing in. The front cover of it says The Great Book of Tragedies. And then that, and so I read that and I'm like, that's such a good idea. What if she was writing his name in there to check in? Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like you take that prompt of the AI and then you try and work out what's the best usage of that prompt. Right. So yeah, like, but this one was hard. I did really heavy editing in the actual written section, you know, taking the script out and then rewriting and rejigging. And like an example is the, the panic attack elements happened very late in the process of working with the ai like towards the final act so i actually then was like oh i rewrote panic attacks in two more times previously through the narrative going backwards so those kind of inspirations that the ai might throw at you then you can try and find ways to rework into the story i guess
1: yeah, so it sounds like you've you've really cracked open your workflow and you're not working exclusively in AI Dungeon anymore at all and kind of bouncing back and forth between your text editor, whatever that is, Google Docs or whatever, and AI Dungeon to generate your your script. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And
0: and this one was like you said about the perfect storm, like to for some context to get to this point to, to write the script so the, I guess there's the two conversations. There's a subject matter of a story and what is what is the thing you're trying to say or tell, right? And and with Hot Dog Crime Squad or Brother Chili, maybe we'd never a trying to we've got a larger theme, but we're not trying to get to a conclusion, if you get me, a larger mm-hmm. thematic conclusion. Whereas these ones, they're what we're kind of calling Toby's shorthand. We don't know why they're called the Toby, but it's mm-hmm. it's a, a kind of a one off, right? So there's a, a beginning, middle, and end, and that's it. But an AI isn't good at creating a beginning, middle, and it's very good at creating a beginning, but not a middle and not an end,
1: right? Oh, it's good. It's good at it ends. I mean, it's, yeah, that's I've, true. I've had many, many times where I'll put an input, and then the next thing it spits out is like, and then you die.
0: Yeah, <laughs> immediately after the beginning, then you get bitten <laughs> by a vampire. Yeah. So that was one thing again with fighting the AI. Like my, like, but I can you, try and bring those themes in, right? Like. The protagonist is a bird watcher. He's a birder and can mimic birds. So whenever I got the chance, I would just, I'd be like, is there a bird around, you know? And the AI will always tell me there's a bird around. And it's like, what does that mean? What does that do? So,
1: yeah. Can you tell me about the the red cardinal on the snow covered bow? Oh, that was just, re- that was just writing. <laughs> that was You, you just- wrote that yourself?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just trying to imagine something relaxing. That's pretty yeah. relaxing. Yeah, it was beautiful. It felt like the AI in in my other projects uh, is my kind of companion as I'm going forwards, right? Whereas Mm -hmm. on this, the AI became my enemy. (laughs) It was (laughs) weird. It was like this antagonistic experience, but so many things wouldn't have happened. That's the thing. Our skill is to be able to pick up on what is a good idea Like, again, the example of, you know, the name of a random book or or constantly trying to regenerate an output and to take a little element of that and then use that as the fertilizer or the seed for something
1: larger, right? Yeah, like one thing that I loved about this episode as well, just in terms of like wrangling the AI that I was impressed with was the, the pacing of it from like there really is a beginning, a middle... And an end and each sort of section within that you know feels like a like a traditionally written story so you know it's fascinating to see the the sort of like spark of chaos and craziness and weirdness come into a structure like that
0: yeah and and, and this one in terms of beginning middle and end as well i think you do the same process is break up the the days or the time that you interact with the AI into different sections of the narrative? Do you do that? What do you mean? Like you'll say you'll you'll get the, the beginning of it started and then you'll take maybe a long break and then come in to then work like the middle, then maybe a break and then do
1: the ending. Do you do that? Um, I don't know if I have a set process yet. I mean, so much of my life is just dictated by you know work schedules and family life so i'm
0: malcolm i've got a job
1: (laughs) it's more (laughs) it's more just (laughs) sorry that was funny (laughs) it's more just like uh whatever i can whatever i can like grab time to to work on it but I, i think that's actually like a really healthy important part of the process because if i when i do sit down it's like you know, if I had all the time in the world to just sit down and work on something, it's like I just shove my head up my own ass further and further.
0: Yeah, and that that can be a thing that can happen with the AI is you can get kind of lost in it as well and lose perspective, right?
1: Yeah, is that how you worked on this? Well, what
0: I what I did with this one is I I wrote it into... Well, I'll I'll, t- I'll be completely open on the the process and the surroundings. So. This episode was written, it was scheduled to be written and recorded in the second week of what became the Montreal, the new Montreal lockdown, the second pandemic lockdown, right? Mm-hmm. So my first week was we, you know, someone in my family, we thought had COVID. It was my wife, I thought had COVID. And so she was like locked in the house while I was with our, our two young kids. And it was like this stressful week. And then the week after that, I'm like, okay, we got through that. It's time to write this episode. And then... Then my son had had like a breathing issue and ended up going to a hospital, and we found out that he had asthma. So the two weeks in a row were just like it was also the perfect storm of like dread, just expecting bad things to happen, right? Mm-hmm. And so the creative process of writing this episode it got me really angry because I'd originally planned to do a Halloween's episode that is spooky and scary with a big spooky scary payoff right but my life felt like I was in that mix of waiting for building tension for something new and bad to happen so I had to stop writing the episode leading up to what would become the crescendo of the resolution because I I, I had to reassess what I wanted to kind of do with it and that was one of the large reasons I had to step away and come back because I was like I don't want to go through this process because it's different writing a script than using the AI because you're kind of playing a game, right? You're, you're you yourself are navigating through this situation, so there's a bit more of it that your is out of your control, and it can
1: be. Yeah, the responsibility is a little bit out of your hands.
0: Yeah, and, and that I wanted like I'm a big proponent of using art as like catharsis for whatever you're going through, right? So this whole thing became an exercise in in using this project and it was just because it happened at the perfect time as to analyze what I was kind of feeling and, and put it through this thing. And as as much as the AI can be your antagonist, it can also be a greatly caring and comforting creature. Do you understand that?
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, because I I think you really broke through that wall, though. You know, like my experience making these stories with AI Dungeon up until now has very much been on the other side of that, where it is like you kind of get to hand control to another person and just sort of step in to correct course. It's And it's quite satisfying and quick and fun but you don't end up putting a piece of your soul into it in the same way that you would with like a fully human project you know like the films like the films and all the other projects we work on outside of this context it's continuously sort of like deeply involving and heart-wrenching and like all the little decisions that go into it feel really big and i haven't i haven't made a ai dungeon like a deep folk episode at all yet that i feel like i've i there's moments of it you know but to kind of fully break through that wall and like co-create with the ai in like that deeply meaningful way like to to create a catharsis with an ai it's like it's surreal yeah.
0: <laughs> it's weird it's weird as well because you can open yourself up to the AI, you as your character can say something very true about your current feeling or emotional state to a character in the artificial intelligence that it's creating, and it will tell you something. And sometimes it's quite moving or profound or affecting. Um, But, I mean, that is to say this process, again, wasn't really that. I was at a constant, like there were moments again, but because I knew what I wanted out of this because I needed it to be the real world catharsisism that I wanted as a way to kind of work through what I was going through, right, emotionally.
1: I was going to say, let me ask you, like, when did you feel that that was starting to happen? Like, how could you tell or was there a moment as you were working on it where you started to feel that actually beginning to happen?
0: <laughs> Feeling what to beginning to happen, sorry.
1: That it, it kind of transformed from being this, like, something kind of trite and offhand and that, you know, you were just sort of playing a game into something that was actually um, cathartic and meaningful. Meaningful. Yeah. Okay. It, it's a good question. I think it was, it was
0: really the, I mean, I don't, for me, creatively what will fuel me more than anything is a feeling of frustration towards something, you know, you see, <laughs> you see something and you want it to be better or you, you, You're feeling unsatisfied through some capacity, and you—it's like this. I don't know. That's a large motivator for me. So, through making my little Halloween episode, I'm like, there was a point where I'm like, what the fuck is this for? What who? What am I getting out of it? Like, I'm building this tension, this dread for something awful that happened to this character, while I'm at a vulnerable real life state, wanting to avoid any dread or tension. So it was a moment that I was like, I was like, no, you know, like I, I see so many horror films or narratives or, or pieces of art or work that are manipulative and take advantage of the audience's emotional state. Right. Like they will present something for the sake of the narrative that is just sinister or is is there's like a cynicism Right. In the creation of the thing, you know, versus being like, okay, what, what, what is actually scary in life? What is actually, in 2020, the world's a weird, scary place, right? Like what, me as a creator, if I'm doing a scary narrative for someone, what responsibility do I also have in terms of giving someone something good, you know, <laughs> like something positive in the world that they can take away and be like, oh, man, that was actually cathartic for me as well to work through
1: that. And that's my favorite kind of horror or... Yeah. Well, yeah. Man, because, I like, you know, as a listener, I felt like you just nailed that so beautifully. Like, had you ended this story with the typical horror tropes of like something horrible actually happening it's actually you know the small town cult and he has to escape or he dies there whatever it it could have been like it just made it so real like the the way the ending you found like
0: yeah well it would have been a betrayal on my part right if i'm gonna lead you into that for that long and then just fucking kick you in the head like what it that'd be such a shitty move on my end right i mean maybe that would be fun too but
1: yeah i don't know i can i can definitely see in in the the act of like finding the ending for this episode that fighting the ai would have been like a massive uphill battle because at every turn it's like yes, vampires jump out of the closet and bite you on the neck and it's horrible and you die. Yeah,
0: to, to get that that ending sequence was a really, I had to just slow down and really start to take control and to write for the AI and to feed back into it and to just, I just basically had to slow it down because if you can slow the AI down enough, it will, because it has that schizophrenic nature where it just wants to run wild. Um so that, that's, yeah, th- that sequence at the end was a sort of, I don't know, I'm sorry, I'm jumping around, but I'm just thinking how, here's a really good creative moment in terms of like a lesson learned, and you and I work in this way a lot, but that I had a destination when I started the narrative, right? Like, it was to create something scary that then had a big, spooky, horrible payoff at the end, right? Mm-hmm. but through starting the thing and and being true to also maybe what my own emotional state was and what I felt I needed at that moment is, is I found what became a much more rewarding, interesting conclusion or full narrative arc that was there. Right. But had I been sort of so single minded to just barrel ahead to my initial vision or goal, it would have passed by. You get me?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's a, it's a hard thing to do, I think, to walk the balance between sort of masterminding things and being open. And yeah. I think that's like, so far in my experience working with AI, that's a big part of it is, I don't know, it's an inexplicable intuitive act where, you know, the AI is throwing out these like crazy, amazing ideas and, You know, I don't know where that answer comes from, but it feels like it's getting easier. I don't know how you feel about that, but.
0: Yeah, I guess I'm starting to see the, I'm starting to see the strings of the puppet a lot more than I was like now that the shine's gone off the apple, you know, it it falls into its predictable patterns or it does these things and it can get you kind of railroaded down a path a situational path that the AI will kind of feed you into, but can be very uninteresting at times
1: as well, if you let it. Sure. And it can like totally undermine, you know, everything that's come before too.
0: Yeah. Like an example for this one is, is when Alan Roddy gets to the fair, initially there was a man on a stage and he was starting to say some kind of, I don't know, he was, he was up there talking in preparations of the festival and, and so my character got stuck standing in the audience and then i was just spectating this thing and my my character was without agency at that point almost it was like the the camera went up onto this stage and was just watching this large event and i was like this is so tedious like i'm just standing in an audience listening to some guy talk and i've I've run ai dungeon before where i've stood in an audience watching people talk and i had to like rewind all the way back and be like i don't want to go down that path like take me somewhere more interesting you know
1: yeah for sure and like in a different sort of story or a different genre that might have been fine right like in a a rowdier stranger like maybe a a comedic episode yeah exactly that would have been perfectly acceptable
0: because uh, that that kind of power st- structure with the guy on the stage, me and the audience, if I'm wanting to start screaming up and disrupting events, like that would be great, right? But mm-hmm. yeah, not for this. And and that's part of it, which could be fun, rewarding, but a challenge when you're making kind of a more of a classic genre piece that's maybe more subtle. Using an AI is it's, you have to really guide it. You know, if it was like a big adventure romp, it's, you know, let it go nuts. But when you're trying to do something more subtle and smaller and human, um, you have to get it to that place. And when it is in that place, it actually operates quite well, you know?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Like, yeah, you, you mentioned, like, seeing the puppet strings. I, I'm i starting to feel like there's a certain memory that the AI has as you're working with it. And it doesn't, you know, say you're, you've already generated, like, like eight pages of adventure the memory of the ai won't extend for that yeah you know that full eight pages it'll it'll go back maybe like a page or something like that but within that page like if you can build a real consistency in that that period of time yeah you can actually get it to a place where it can do pretty unusual things
0: yeah i think the ai also has to kind of know it's especially with character consistency it has to know it have a structure for its character I think like an example is in my hot dog crime squad I've generated probably what will be like 14 episodes worth of content and my partner Frank in in that show he's been so remarkably consistent Hmm. because he's he's quite simple and he just operates as police guy's partner and so the AI knows what to do with police guy's partner, right? Like it's yeah. like hey, it's the it's the partner of the police guy. But if you're trying to do something a bit more subtle or interesting, it's it, it kind of needs to use almost like tag systems or something like this is my girlfriend. And now that it's my girlfriend, my girlfriend will say girlfriendy things, you know?
1: Yeah, totally. And even the tag system that it does have like feels kind of sketchy, like it doesn't really always work or there's still you know, it still totally drops the ball, even though you like train the world and provide all the tags and stuff.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm to the extent that I'm suspicious that, that creating the kind of world information stuff actually does anything. I've never, (laughs) I've never seen it use it in a way that I'm like, Oh (laughs)
1: yeah. Like a really like interesting little trip. I went on with it in the current brother chili episode, which is number seven Mm -hmm. that I'm working on. Um, I, I don't, I guess I don't want to give away too much, but there's a situation where the characters are like going to play a board game and it took a long time to kind of like get the AI to understand that like we're sitting down at a board game and we need to like have some rules. Like there's a character who's explaining the rules and you know, I just kept having to sort of grab the AI's hand and bring it back to that situation. But after like, a couple paragraphs of of doing that, he was spitting out amazing stuff. Uh, like yeah. pretty coherent, like almost fully playable game rule sets and then descriptions of the game in progress. And it was like remembering, you know, the major actions that you take on that in that board game. And, you know, it was tracking like some pretty amazing stuff. Like it was remembering who the players were, what had come before on a couple turns before, like yeah, it was kind of blowing my mind. I'm
0: I'm going to be interested to see if that now generating beyond that have you generated past that moment now? No, that's kind of where I Yeah. Cuz I I had one like a I guess it'll eventually be a Toby episode, Margaret London where she's a poet. And so I was making the AI generate poetry, right? And so I'm constantly generating these poems through the narrative making her, you know, read a poem halfway through a story. And the AI started to just completely break down because it was sourcing poetry into its it, it moving forwards, right? And and so the language, the, the way that things would work, it just started to repeat itself over and over. Right.
1: And it didn't know what was poetry and what wasn't.
0: Exactly. Like, it, it didn't know where the edge was. So I'm interested to know if... If your story going forwards is going to <laughs> you're gonna be rolling dice next thing you know, you know, like your character's gonna oh, be
1: that'll be really delicious because <laughs> like the situ in the situation the people, you know, who are putting forth the board game have lost their mind from oh, playing good. board games. Just so make your
0: protagonists like drugged or something beforehand. So anything that happens <laughs> beyond that is like psychological. But that's great.
1: Yeah. That's kind of like a good disclaimer for listening to this stuff or working with it in general. Is, is be like, drugged. Yeah, a little bit of <laughs> altered consciousness can-,
0: can go a long way. That's one thing, like, regarding to how people find this, this is why, like, find deep folk and understand deep folk. I kind of, I feel like we need to do a a listening reference or a listening guide because I also understand that you and I kind of understand. Oh, there's a bird. Can you hear that?
1: Ah. Alan, what bird is that?
0: (laughs) That's a, uh, I think that's a Robin actually, funnily enough, that, that we know what we're doing and we know how to listen to deep folk in terms of like, I know how to listen to your episodes and you know how to listen to mine. And it's because we know about the sausage, right? Like how it was made. And that's what is part of the interesting listening experience. Um, so for someone without that context as to the AI and what we're doing is I think it can go a number of ways. Either is they dismiss anything we're doing as, well, look at what the computer did. Well, they either under or over what's happening, I think. That's why I think these companion episodes are important because what's going on here is very confusing to us as well, right? <laughs> like in terms of what... Yeah. What the AI is doing, what we're doing, what's being outputted. And then we're making it extra confusing that we've got Deep Folk, Deep Folk Companion, Deep Folk Toby, Brother Chili, Hot Dog Crime Squad, Halloween. Like we've got all these weird structural holding cells for these different things that we're doing. Anyway, I'm just, I just think that's an interesting, yeah. but also in a delicious thing that those who are willing to go down that path and try and unpack what's happening, there's a lot to unpack
1: yeah well i think for me it's like it's less confusion and more a process and like for me part of my intention in like sharing all this stuff is like i i just like i live for the creative process like you know as soon as something is finished i'm extremely detached and uninterested in it you know whether it's a film or i don't know any project so like the process that we're going through is just so strange to me and new and different that I feel like, you know, we're trying to bring a bit of structure to it by having like episodes fall into different categories. But I think, you know, for audiences to really connect to this, they probably somewhere in, in themselves would have a love of like the creative process and be a little bit okay with things being messy and sorting things out as you go. Cause, Man, is it delightful! Like, yeah, it really is. Yeah, if you're not looking for, you know, something that's fully sewn up with a Hollywood ending, where you just click all the tick boxes and walk walk out of the theater, you know, with a full belly and an empty head.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know,
1: it's like this is this is great. This is amazing stuff. And like, we don't know where we're going and we don't know what we're doing, but that's the fun, <laughs> you know. the only thing that was kind of in the back of my mind was we were kind of we were talking about some interesting stuff in relation to horror and like horror genres and what you were doing with this episode um you know you were talking about just like the nature of horror now I guess you touched on it a little bit uh what what is horror like the modern version of it's just interesting to hear you talk about your take on horror. I think you're maybe a little bit more up to date on on horror than I am, as you could totally tell by our episodes. I'm like stuck in the 80s.
0: <laughs> yeah, but that's also what what's happening is people, are, there's a mix, right? There's a resurgence of great horror that, it, you know, things like The Witch or Hereditary or... Or things like that, where people are bringing back that kind of classic '70s Italian, or you know, things like "Don't Look Now" and *The Shining*—these psychological horrors, I guess. Mm-hmm. And you've you've been, you're a bit up to date on those ones—the modern psychological horror film.
1: Yeah, I just feel like my my spectrum is a lot more narrow. Like I've I've seen most of the big recent horror films, but. I don't know, like I haven't seen Hereditary yet. Hereditary and like Midsummer
0: obviously had like a pretty, I would say those two had a huge effect on this episode in terms of to the extent that, uh, you know, uh, like someone will be like, hey, wait a second, (laughs) with certain elements. But like, yeah, there's some films being made that they'll absolutely terrify you going through, but will let you down easy on the other side. Right. I really respond well to that stuff because it's still a horrific psychological tense journey that leaves you kind of shaken but there's a feeling of weird like like it's like a, a an evil smile, a benevolent smile that is kind of inviting and warm but may also mean your death, you know?
1: <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I mean that was like a huge part of the takeaway from your episode was really walking away from it, feeling like a palpable sense of like just the terror of carrying around an imagination, like mm. the horror of having a mind. <laughs> well, that, and again, like the generation of these episodes is
0: I was, I wanted to make something scary, but I don't, I'm not sure I did make something scary, but to me personally, it's a lot of my own personal greatest fears injected together you know like i'm very interested in each specific person's fear and they can say things like i'm scared of spiders be like are you really scared of spiders what are you actually scared of right like are you grossed out a bit by spiders and you don't want it near you? Or is the thought of having poison in your body or a, a bite from a thing that means in a few hours you're likely to die and what that means or what are you going to do in the hours leading up before you die? You know, like the actual true fear, the actual true horror, and, and, and that's something that's hard to convey in film or story because it's so psychological and it's so human that we all carry these very similar f- fears whether it's social fear whether it's am i ill is there something in my body that i'm dying of right now that i'm not aware of that those are the things that i think motivate the human race a lot more than like a bear because we don't have to suffer those fears anymore we don't have there's not a bear running in my house to try and eat me at any moment I, but what could happen is i could get a phone call about something that's happened to someone i love i could You know, I could find something. I could be in a social situation that I misinterpreted that maybe everyone didn't want me there and I thought they did or all these weird little psychological things. Those are what motivate me on a day-to-day life
1: in terms of like fear, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it really like begs the question, what is fear? You know, because there's an entire spectrum of emotion and sensation and like thought activity that you could categorize as fear and Mm -hmm. like all of it we have such an aversion towards so i i really like this modern take on horror as well where it's more about the direct experience of those things as opposed to like an externalized justifiable fear you know i think that's like a power a latent power of horror is to kind of take, take the terror, the horror and make it self-reflective instead of like demonizing other things. I mean, also horror does that, but I feel like maybe that's a more traditional take.
0: Yeah. I think they're almost like different genres, like the, the scary versus the psychologically scary that like they, they walk very different paths. And what's fun is, is each of our episodes are are doing that. Your episode for the Halloween is, is, a classic, conventional kind of horror tale that's in the style of your sort of Spielbergian, or like The Gate, or one of those kind of films, right? And, and that's mm. just fun; it's just joyous to feel that, like, whoa, you know?
1: Yeah, it's like excitement and horror.
0: Yeah, and it's the same thing as like I think what like a violent action movie, or it's like you get to play with these fears and emotions and and things in a very kind of non affecting way, I guess. Whereas your your more psychological sort of things are the ones that you think about later and are like, "Oh, i don't I'm not sure I like this or do I like this? I think I like this, but I kind of wish I wasn't thinking about this, you, know? yeah, it's the terror of the mirror, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I, you're very in touch with your own, I guess brain chemistry, so to speak. what What <laughs> would you say is is what? you would define as fear, even for yourself, if you don't mind talking about it?
1: Um, well, <laughs> I guess, like, it's, I don't know, having done meditation in my life, that's kind of the framework that I see it through, where I see it as a relationship of the different aspects of myself, like, you know, physical sensation can give rise to fearful thoughts, and vice versa. So, I guess, again, it's like a process thing, and I don't know. I don't bring a lot of value judgment to it. I really think it's just something that we live with as humans. It's like
0: evolutionary almost, like a fear aversion or aversion of something that creates fear.
1: Yeah, it's totally just like an inherent part of our animal wiring that I think – you know, I – don't at all think the goal would ever be to live a life without fear because that would just make us inhuman in a way
0: yeah but it's fun that we can play with fear and we get some pleasure out of it too which is what you know halloween represents almost as like a creative human right
1: yeah i i kind of think that like this is like getting really close to what i loved about your episode and i think it's like it touches on what I would see as more of like, I don't know, it's really not a value judgment, but like a higher form of fear, which is the self-reflexive fear, the self-aware fear, the fear that's aware that it's coming from within. Like, to me, that it's almost like a beautiful experience because it's totally like the litany of fear from Dune, right?
0: The fear that I'm playing with and is the like fear in life as well for myself is very much anxiety-based as to it's like a a fight or flight response of the body that starts to kick in at the perception of danger, right? Mm -hmm. And, And that for myself comes out physically. And so all of those physical cues I play with in the episode as well, which is things like heart rate or nausea or sweat or dizziness, going pale, all those things I'm acutely in tune of. And something that's funny with this process it was quite hard to listen to and edit and recreate those moments, because a weird thing with this kind of anxiety that it, that can you know manifest itself in these kind of panic episodes is that it, through listening to and hearing the symptoms and thinking about the symptoms, can give on a small version of those things. Like that's as a point to prove how completely useless it is. It's like you're someone standing there and someone says, think about something scary. And then you start going, "Ah, oh, no, you know, and you're like genuinely in terror, right? And that's fun as well in a way of to play with that is to see how baseless those feelings are, that you can just think about the physical and mental effect of those things and it can create those things, like
1: completely unwarranted that's that's where the artistry comes into me, in my mind because like it can go two ways i think like you know there's there's the version of that where you're describing sort of like the physical reality of being afraid and it heightens that exact thing in your audience but then there's the kind where because you're putting awareness on it it lessens it it can totally undermine it you know yeah well being able to unpack it it's it's a bit of like an uncanny valley situation so I feel like delivering delivering the experience to your audience is not it's not not. It's not like you just say the thing and then your audience feels it.
0: <laughs> it's true, and it's so specific to brain, like each individual's brain chemistry, right? Yeah, it's like a a song that touches you, but you don't know why. Whereas someone else has no effect, right? Yeah, it's also specific, and I think that's what fear in good art is as well. Is like the thing that scares me more than anything in a film is not going to be the thing that scares you, right? Yeah, is. Is it so fine-tuned and so specific to each person, you know? So I, I do feel for the person who might listen to this and and hearing through those moments that I've created of those fear moments, that that they may in turn feel some physical reaction from that. But that's why I felt as well the responsibility to, to if I'm going to put someone in that place, if I'm going to play with an audience member. To in theory, even attempt to trigger a degree of what I, you know, yeah. what I I know I, I need to then in turn be able to take them somewhere with that and to maybe help them understand that very real emotion through some like a, as I'm trying to understand it for myself, right? Like that's why I did this was to analyze the, my own thing, right? Through the 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 creative lens i guess
1: yeah so let me ask you this it's like the outcome of this episode obviously sounds very personal and intimate and based on your own experiences passing through the last few insane weeks here in montreal um like is this something you could have just made on your own or like what was the value of the ai in this whole thing for you Uh.
0: That's a great question. And I think I wouldn't I wouldn't have made it on my own because I wouldn't have wanted to put myself in that place, right? It's like to sit down with a blank piece of paper and to then try and channel those emotions, it sucks. What an awful experience, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) To just to just try and like open that up and squeeze those things out. But through the the ai the ai can lead you you know it's a way to get started to start traveling somewhere and you start traveling there and then you while you're on the the trip like that's why i think it's important to never quite know your destination because through the act of following it, where it's leading you and then as you lead it you'll get to somewhere that you weren't expecting to get to so i wouldn't have done this no like it, it, it was never my
1: intention so that's a great thought, actually. Hmm. And like, so when you first set out on making this episode, did you have a sense of how personal or like, you know what I mean? Like, did you did you have an intention in regards to like how personal this was going to get?
0: No, no. I, I knew that I wanted the character that something bad was going to happen to this guy, right? And, and there weren't the initial episodes the kind of panic attack episodes until there was a moment later on where it it added it where he's walking towards the fort it it made the character collapse and i was like okay why would he have collapsed he hasn't been cursed Mm. maybe he's feeling this upcoming dread that i've been kind of building towards and then i can't just make that happen i have to then feed it back in right to make it have context
1: so that's what that's kind of the moment where you saw yourself in the story
0: yeah, I guess that's true is that that at that moment I felt for the character as well because I'm and I'm like okay from this point on I'm going to try and o- let, just open myself to the experience while also guiding it to where I needed it to be for my own catharsis hmm. of that experience, right? And the cool thing with the AI is it's a completely non-judgmental second party that you can bounce against it and and feel like you've almost got a partner who's helping to prompt or guide you through a thing without having to, you know, the fear of opening up that much to a real it's human. Like the perfect
1: therapist. You... Yeah. <laughs> except
0: it's like, but I guess that's also what I've been getting through things like video games my whole life, right? Is that I will use that as a sandbox to play with with myself (laughs) yeah but
1: how much more intimate is this you know like yeah yeah and like as an audience as a as a listener that was a really potent moment for me in the story like like it's just so beautiful you know like when he's laying there and there's like a drop of water on his face it's so simple and you know like I don't know it's just so evocative of like all of my own personal um sort of fantasies of death (laughs) that it would be this moment outside of time where things stand still and there's not much there except nature and i don't know it's like everything that kind of led up to that moment just sort of melts away
0: that that moment especially because for for myself i've had a handful of moments where i i feel like i've you know had almost like an episode in a an area where there's other people. And what becomes the largest fear is the feeling of the burden that you put on those around you by having that kind of moment, right? This like social faux pas you know, outside the realm of just general politeness, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like that itself is like a, feels like a social death or something. And it's so funny in that moment that the character says like, sorry for being a burden yeah. to everyone. And I didn't even put together the name of the episodes, Alan Rorty's Burden, which I had the pun name, but I didn't even pick up on the fact that I used that word then, right? And, like, what that means and what becomes the burden. And it it's just was an in, one of those interesting little, like, yeah, reflective moments, I guess.
1: Yeah. No, it's beautiful, though, because, like, as the episode continues on and goes into the the sort of climax at the end and the resolution, like that only kind of gets heightened, you know, like his anxiety builds up, but you know, the, the sort of paranoia, the, uh, the social paranoia also builds up, but there's always this kind of like counterpoint to that where you're like, but is every, is it all just him? Like, is it everyone around him is just being so supportive and compassionate and caring? Like, I don't know. There's just, it's, it's really well crafted, you know, you really like walk that line masterfully. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And it's funny that what becomes the thing that leaves me feeling almost like that scares me about what is the story when I think about it is so if I'm like, I, I won't spoil too much, but is the idea that the people around him were always there to support him, but his own perception was, was that of something else. And then that, but for them to be so aware that he was going through that experience in the sense of those people around him knew that he, this was his, what he was dealing with. This was what was going through his mind with his reaction. And they almost orchestrated an event to help him have a catharsis through that, that terrifies me the idea of like humans around me and people around me (laughs) not being completely open and upfront to create something around me that may totally help me but again that's that like social paranoia or like so it's even though there's like this great relief of the event that that's the thing that leaves me feeling a bit chilled is like was but they knew they knew something and they were moving towards it Right, like, or was he just perceiving that that they he thought they knew, you know? And that's the moment where you think about it too much, then you go schizophrenic. But it's like, yeah, yeah, that's what leaves me a bit like the hair on the back of my neck rising a bit. <laughs> uh, so maybe, maybe it is a bit scarier than I thought. I don't know.
1: I don't know. I didn't get scared by that at all listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's good. Yeah, but it, yeah. it's. It's amazing because I think you've made something that can be read in all these different ways. Like there's these, these kind of like core threads to like Alan and his, like, it's very like Alfred Hitchcock. Like, you know, he takes you through the experience like moment by moment and that's what makes it work. Like he never really tells you what to feel. And like, I don't feel like you ever do in this. It's really like you kind of just, show people a moment and then show them the next connected moment. And all of the meaning, all of the like meta narrative of those moments is really in the hands of the audience. Like I didn't, I, you know, that's not a fear of, I'm not really all that socially paranoid. I kind of inherently trust people and I'm happy to do so. I'm happy to kind of like cast off that boat and not carry that burden, you know, just to assume that people, (laughs) yeah, just to assume that people mean well. And then when they don't, I deal with it. Like that sort of state of mind. So I didn't pick up on that like level of fear at all. But, you know, there's, there's certainly other aspects of this that, you know, like the, the tension of him and his awareness of his own body and I'm like getting older too. So it's something creeping up in my subconscious is just that my body's falling apart. Yeah. (laughs)
0: I can see it happening to you now. So I know some, uh, hey. you know, it's a great I can, it's a great destination for me too is uh, knowing that one day I'll be as decrepit and old and <laughs> disgusting as you are. <laughs> but it's true, like there's there's the sequence in it where I, you know, it wasn't AI at all. It, it's my kind of rant that I wrote, which is sort of Alan Rorty's inner kind of voice speaking to him in that moment. But it's all those things, you know, it's like, that you know that headache is cancer, like all those things that you. So
1: that was all your writing that section.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that was all my one because I I don't I didn't trust the AI to be able to say something too meaningful into that moment, and it needed to be so specific to what was his fear and what was my fear at, at that current moment. You know,
1: right? Was was there any moments in the story that were like all AI or like heavily AI? Um
0: not not really i mean there was there were moments that i would use the ai like he reads the history book about the town and i just it would just infinitely generate the history of the town right and like so those things and the the names of the places and the events of the past are those like weird powerful moments that the ai can really offer and there were some things you know like the ai for some reason said that i had already checked in but I hadn't checked in, you know, and that's like a great horror moment as to like, is there another version of me who's already come in here? But I mean, that's might also be in terms of picking up on the AI fucking, (laughs) fucking up. Like in this one, there's a great AI moment where, where he orders breakfast and then she orders two full breakfasts for him. Right. Just, because I think the AI assumed I was going to have breakfast with the woman who owned the shop, right? <laughs> so, But then I just go with it, you know, and then my character sits down and eats two full breakfasts yeah. because that's just a classic AI moment. Like as far as how much the AI, I really let it run loose, not really. And that's why the process was so frustrating as well because it was a constant fight <laughs> because I really knew that, because what I was making was meaningful for myself at that moment, had I not been invested in the outcome and the resolution to give me a catharsis, I would have let it run wild. Right. Mm-hmm. But I, ha- I had to get it to where I wanted it to be because I had to get a catharsis for myself just completely selfishly through the process. So yeah, that's why it was, this one was more difficult in terms of what the AI could offer me.
1: Yeah. Also I can see how like a big part of this challenge is creating a closed one-off narrative. Like when you're doing a series, you're never really faced with that same bookend at the end of an episode. So there's a lot more looseness and freedom to like, you know, introduce elements in your story that you don't need to resolve or to start an emotional arc that you may never finish or could just carry over in the next episode or something. Yeah. It's interesting talking about like, Fear and bringing that into stories and stuff. Because I think that shit's relevant even for non horror. Exactly, and it's and also
0: horror isn't really something that you and I play with that much within our own work. Like we'll do tension definitely, but not normally like a more explicit horror, right?
1: Yeah, but it's really good to articulate this because I think we maybe are into horror because like every time we're working out a story together, we're always like oh, but how can we make this darker? How can we yeah. like bring out the suffering of our characters and you know, have it be more cathartic. <laughs> like
0: it's, it's that's because The thing is like horror is, is fear and what motivates humans better than fear, you know? So yeah, it's just like a basic human. It's more, it's more motivating than joy, I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Joy is really like the release from horror, the release yeah, from fear. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's an afterthought of life.
0: <laughs> For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I got a pee, man. Yeah, I got a pee too. So thanks for <laughs> shooting it. This has been. The com- <laughs> Hold on. Let, I'll try another sign off just in case we don't want to use the piss related. <laughs>
1: <laughs> We've been talking too long. I really got a pee. Thanks for tuning in to Deep Folk Companion episode number two. Until next time, got a pee
0: you gotta be okay bye (laughs) i I think that (laughs) that's fine okay peace man love you see you
1: later we talked for an hour whoa well you're gonna edit this i'm assuming
0: (laughs) yeah oh boy